Well, good morning. Happy New Year again. Um, it's great to see all of you. Our church got hit with uh, COVID this past like four weeks. A lot of people were sick and away. So it's good to see happy, healthy faces. And I, I usually don't do this, but I like to do a shout out. Uh, Terry Itnayer is here. He's been um, battling health for like the past year, uh, many times in the ICU and and so we pray for him. I visited him in ICU wearing a full gown. And, and I saw him rolling in here, cool as a cucumber, just walking in. And I said, it's good to see you. And he said, it's good to be seen. So, Terry, we welcome you in the name of Christ. Welcome. Oh, man, that, that's always a, a joyful part of being a pastor when we get to pray for people and see God uh, answering and and responding in healing. So, I want to go right into the message. Uh, how many of you made a New Year's resolution this year? Any kind? Okay, good. We, we should. It, psychologically, it's a new year. So, I've seen posts by my friends and pastors, uh, people put randomly New Year's resolutions, and some of them go like this. They want to take more adventures. That's a very millennial and Gen Z thing. Like, how do I want to live my life? I want to explore some said, I want to work in a healthy way. I want to work harder, but healthier. That's good. Some people said, I want to form good money habits. Amen, right? Like, we don't spend and then figure out how we're going to pay later. But we budget, and that's good. Uh, practice good eating habits. I've already failed that. That's, that's my New Year's resolution that started and broke at 12.02. Um, physical exercise and health. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, right now, I'm turning 50, and I'm finding out about cholesterol and taking medication, and that's a little too much. Uh, health and exercise. And so all of these things are really good. And I would encourage that, yeah, every year you want to improve just a little bit for your health, for your family. But something struck me. All these resolutions may impact the heart, but none of them I've never seen this. Uh, maybe I have never heard of it. No one ever said, I need a healthy, healthy, happy, peaceful, contented heart. I want to work on my heart. See, we want to work on our body, our career outside. But I don't think I recall anyone saying, my heart is pretty messed up. I'm pretty selfish and, and hard. Or I, I want to be able to focus on my heart. Or I want to have peace in my heart this year. That's my focus. I don't hear a lot of that. And so what that tells me is society, a lot of times we tend to, you know, it may affect the heart. We tend to focus on the exterior. But everything that drives the exterior comes from, in the Old Testament, the heart. So let me ask you a trivia question. What body part is mentioned the most in the Bible? Head, hands, feet? And you probably know, the heart, over almost a thousand times, the heart is mentioned the most as the anthropomorphic part of the human body. Um, in the Old Testament, the heart is levav. So let's learn Hebrew today. Say levav. And if that's too hard, we, the short is live, live. And so in the ancient time, the heart was represented by four things. One is... The heart captures the physical. So they do know it's an organ, but it's more than just an organ. 
in the Old Testament, the heart is the central driving machine of everything. So Abraham saw weary strangers, and he says something to the extent of, let us feed you so you may be nourished and strengthened in your heart for your weary journey. So it's this physical strengthening. Uh, it represents how healthy one is. It's a central organ that runs your whole body. Second, the heart is intellectual. The Old Testament ancient people saw the heart as something intellectual, mindful. It's a place of knowing, remembering, meditating. The word yada in Hebrew, to know, is this intimate, and it comes from the heart, to know God, yada God. It's an intellect that has this idea and knowledge. And in Psalm 77, verse 5 and 6, I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. Verse 6, I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked. So how does a heart meditate? It's because it's part of my knowing. So when you recollect the past, your heart, according to the ancient, is remembering the joys, the pains. It remembers. It has knowledge. The third component of the heart, according to the old ancient days, is the emotional. That part, this part is not surprising. Joyful, fear, happiness, cheeriness. Uh, the source of emotional activity comes from the heart. And so sorrow, rage, even trouble, these emotions that come out, the heart. Proverbs 15, 13, a happy heart makes the face cheerful. So the proverb writer says, your face countenance reflects the heart. In college, I met an atheist, um, young adult. His dad was an elder at a church, abused him um, to a point where even in high school in New Jersey cold, he made him strip down to his underwear and made him stand in the snow for 30 minutes. He said, I hate God, I hate church, I hate everybody. And just, God just kept putting him in my heart. I was a junior, he was a freshman. By the end of the year, we just kept feeding him, like, hey, can I feed you? Can I? Just, he's like, no, no. But the part that stood out with David was when he sat and rested, he started hanging out with us more. This was his face. I was like, are you okay? He's like, yeah, why? It was phenomenal. His natural resting face was a scowl. Now, check this out. By the end of the year, it was like a, one of those Christian stories that only happens to others. At the end of the year, semester, he gave his life to Christ. I kid you not, the very next day, he's walking around campus like this. It was weird, and I was like, is he faking that? And he's like, I don't know why. I'm so happy. And so God has changed his heart. And from the heart, Proverbs writers write, the cheer and joy overflows to his face. And so the heart controls the emotions, and it drives us. Lastly, it, it's the centerpiece for moral choices. The desires drive the decision-making. So if my heart desires sexuality and power and money, these things will drive my moral choices outside. It's a place where Pharaoh's heart was hardened by God. And so he said, no, I will not let your people go. And so God allowed it to harden to show his power later on. 
So humanity, we have a heart that is darkened according to Paul, Romans 1.21. And so Psalm writer, do I have the verse? Let's read it together, Psalm 119.11. I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. Why is he putting God's word in his heart? Because it's a decision maker for everything I do. If it has no fortification with the word of God and the Holy Spirit, and I let it just run its course, my desires will drive it. So the Hebrew ancient writers, they see the heart in these four ways. That's the emotional, the physical, the spiritual, intellectual. And so we see the heart as basically summary is it's your entire being is your heart. Uh, so, you know, we say, hey, my heart, my heart. For the Hebrew writer, it's your whole being. It captures your essence. Now, let's keep going. Jeremiah says there's a problem with our heart. And, you know, when you hear people say to children, hey, follow your heart. Follow your heart. <laughs> Believe in your heart. Like, it's well-intended. But if we look at the history of the world, forget, just pull away God for a minute. Just look at the history of the world. What happens when humans follow their hearts? Do we have more peace today than ever before? No, the more intelligent and wise and controlled, we, have, we go the opposite way. Why? Jeremiah 17, 9 captures it. He says this, the God's word says this about the heart. The heart is deceitful, not just deceitful, but it's deceitful above all things. Can you trust your heart? I can't. I can't speak for you, but I know I can't. I need my heart to be guided, fortified by the Holy Spirit, God's word, godly people in my life, and the heart is desperately sick, sick. Who can understand it? And so we try to cover a bad heart with good behavior, with good living and outside so that everything is fine and cordial, but if the present has a rotten banana in it, eventually the ribbon, the wrapping, the box becomes spoiled, yes? And we live in a time where we focus on how we look on the outside and how proper. Chill parents say, we don't do that. Behave properly. Hey, don't do that. Do this. How are we doing with cultivating a child's heart? How are we doing cultivating our heart? Uh, this past week, Kathy and I went away to uh, what's called Sin City, Las Vegas. Um, and I did that. To be honest, I'll be fully transparent because I, I, I got to use Tesla and my goal was, can I get there in like one charge? That, that was the real novelty of it. That was like the test. Was it going to break down? And I did it with one recharge. That was cool. That's what I hope. So Kathy and I went without the kids because we never got to really look and just observe. And the food is great. Lights are great. But it was also, what is Las Vegas really like? We couldn't do that with kids running around. And so we had a good time connecting and bonding. We had a good time, good food, tacos del gordo. Oh, man, so good, so good. But it dawned on me after I came back to the room, um, there are some things that are beautiful, the lights. And I realized in my observation, this is just my observation, everything in Las Vegas, the lights, the sounds, the smell, the setting, it's attempting to direct your heart to power, money, 
happiness, sex. It was phenomenal. Everything around her. If I was there without accountability, without maybe just the right friends, what's the chance that I'm going to just say, hey, this was a good visit. This is nice. Praise God. No way. Thank God for a good wife. Thank God for a Holy Spirit. I wasn't tempted, but it struck me, boy, it's a beautiful place, but it could be a place that could drive your heart and provoke it to something. It's beautiful at the same time. It has so much sorrow, brokenness, people walking out of casinos, losing I don't know how much money, and people looking for that short-term pleasure. So is Las Vegas bad? No, that's a place where we see God at work. There are good churches and there's people that they're all made in the image of God. But I realize, man, they know how to capture your heart. They know how to push it. And if I'm not able to be watchful of it, my heart before I know it could get strayed. And so when Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, it knows a human condition is we want opposite of what God is. We don't trust God. We're still in the garden saying, oh, that fruit looks good because our heart wants it. And so we pen back, and this is what God knows. God knows our heart. Uh, it says in Psalm 44, God, for he knows the secrets of the heart. And I think that's a good thing. I hope you and I feel comfort in that, that my heart is not hidden from God. And if, if it is messy, oh God, I'm glad I don't have to hide from you. See it, all of it. Jeremiah 17, 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. You see God engaging and interacting. He knows our heart. So when you go to Las Vegas or when you go to gambling or when you do things here in Southern California, we have temptations too. And we think, no one knows. I'm a pastor. They don't know my inner things. God's word says, God knows. And I don't know why, but I just know that it's only his mercy that if he were to be righteous, why am I still standing? Because he's merciful. He's gracious. He's loving, and he wants us. He doesn't want to destroy us. So we can look great on the outside, but inside we could be corrupt. And so First Samuel, you know this verse. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. He's looking for the king that God has pointed him to. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And we always focus on David, but I want to focus on Eliab and say, what was it about Eliab? He was tall, good-looking, strong. He was not the runt. But I wonder, he looked great on the outside, but there's something about his heart that was not right, that God said, it's not him. Now, if that is the case, how much more this year can I encourage us? What if we took a New Year's resolution? Lord, help me to be mindful of my heart in my family, in my church, in my career, whatever I do. Because you see the heart. I want to have a good heart. So, two things we learned about.
this from Jesus is uh, first in Matthew 12, 33, Jesus talks about the heart. The first is this. He says, make a good tree, make a tree good and its fruit will be good or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For this, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Jesus gives us two lessons about the heart. First is from this passage and the first message is this. Eventually, whatever is in your heart will come out. Let's go back to the banana in the box. Uh, have you ever seen a liquefied rotten banana? I did. My roommate in college left a banana under his bed. Bananas dissolve into liquid. Did you know that? All right. You never, not if you had the pleasure of wiping it. And so I did. And then it just festers. And you start getting flies. It doesn't stay in its composition. I think sin in our heart is like that. And what Jesus is saying is, no matter how you cover it up, the heart will eventually ooze out in fruit and in words. And I was thinking about this. Man, I have so many times where there are moments where something gets triggered and then you have this unexpected explosion of rage or anger. And you stop a little bit later and say, where did that come from? Where did it come from? The heart. And some of you may be surprised or maybe something spills out. And so if there's a cup full of like marbles and then someone hits you, why did it come out? Not because someone hit you. It's because the cup is full of marbles. And things in life will spill it out. And so a lot of us, we go into marriage thinking, it's so exciting, I'm in love with you, I love you, you love me, right, marriage? Young people want to get married. And then what they don't realize is, once that honeymoon phase is over, <laughs> and you're in the third, fourth, fifth year, you're going to start seeing things in your spouse. And if you didn't get good premarital counseling, you're going to be even more shocked. Because we carry baggage from our parents, our homes, and we bring it into our current marriage. It's not in our hair. It's in our heart. It spills out. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, guys. Eventually, what's in your heart, in word and in action, spills out in your fruit. Be mindful. Second is from today's text. Mark chapter 7. He says, the defilement does not come outside of us. So a lot of the old church way was, remember, remember the movie uh, Footloose? Please, let me, please, amen. Thank you. Best movie of all time. Kevin Bacon goes into a town. He starts getting in romantic relationship with the pastor's daughter. No dancing because there was an accident. No drinking, no smoking, no dancing. And Kevin's like, come on, man. So we got the dancing's part of life. And then it's like, you know, that's the whole theme. And so we, the point of that movie was, can we keep ourselves pure by keeping bad things out? No. And so parents try to keep the whole world out. Good luck. Because by the time they're five years old, they know how to search the internet. And so Jesus' wisdom is 2,000 years ago. You can't make us pure by keeping bad things out because it's not what's outside that makes us impure. It's inside of you. And so the religious leaders were saying, your disciples are not washing their hands. You're breaking spiritual customs. They're defiling. And Jesus basically says, 
Those are your rules. And interesting enough, your rules violate God's rules. Because the fifth commandment says, honor your mother and father. But because of your rule, if you give an oath to give money as a dedication, you say, sorry, mom and dad, I can't help you. Good luck with food. And you're violating the fifth commandment because of your rules. And then he goes deeper and he says, it's not the religious activity. Impurity comes from your heart, which means every single one of us in here has the potential of any sinner out there. We are not better than outside unbelievers. Can we say amen to that? We have the same spiritual issue. So when churches say, well, I'm a Christian, you don't even go to church. That's, that's terrible. Here's a better way. I'm a Christian, and I know how corrupt my heart is that God is the only hope. I'm with you, brother. I'm with you, sister. But for some reason, God showed me his grace. So we're not saved because we're better hearts, but we have hearts that has a God that can read. And so Jesus says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, uh, theft. And he goes on. Let me put it in modern, more modern. Evil thoughts, porneia, which is adultery, sex outside of marriage, rape, homosexuality. He says envy, lust, greed, slaughtering of others, murder, pride. These things, all these things, those are the original words, come out from inside of you. They rest in there. The heart is a problem. And so our only hope, what is our hope? Religion says this, ready? You better fix your heart or else God won't accept you. That's what religion says. Can you imagine the sermon ended that way? So everyone, work on your heart. Amen. Let's pray. Like, that would feel like, oh my goodness. That would be terrible. The false gospel also says this. This is the false gospel. God loves us so much, you're fine the way you are. Here's what the gospel says. We are not fine. We have terrible hearts. But God loves us. God forgives us and gives us a new heart. Hallelujah. We are not fine, but God loves us and gives us a new heart. One of the best verses in the whole Bible. Can we read this together? Ready, go. And I will give you a new heart, and I, I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart, and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Based on this, how much work do you have? Zilch. It's God puts a new heart. It's God who puts a spirit in you. It's God who replaces your stubbornness. What is your part and my part? Very easy and impossible at the same time. Very easy because all we have to do is we surrender and offer it to God. Why is it impossible? Because our pride darn pride. I don't want to acknowledge I can God. I can do this myself. I don't need anyone's help. That keeps us from giving our hearts to God. And so we have to submit it and surrendering it. And so we offer it humbly. We trust God in it. And David, when he sinned against 
Bathsheba and killed her husband, Uriah, and finally was made aware of this sin. He didn't say, well, I'm a king and God picked me here. He says this, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And so I want to take 2023 and say no matter how far you've gone, good news, we have a chance every day for God to give us a clean heart. If you've never been a Christian, this is the best time to get a new heart. If you've been a Christian, but your heart's been strayed, good news. We're about to take communion where we're saying, Jesus, it's only you that can change my heart. I put my faith in you. And so this is something we do every day according to Deuteronomy. And in Proverbs, it says, give trust God with all your heart. So I want to give you something practical. Can you write this down? There are, so... How do we examine? This is the last part. Just like give you something practical. And this is it. And Billy's going to come up and sing. But there's this thing called prayer of examine. And it literally is just examining your heart every day. And uh, Fuller does this. But it's from St. Ignatius Loyola. Uh, he lived in 1500s. And at the end of each day, this is what he does. At the end, first thing is, ask for light. God, show me. Help me to recognize you. Let me see and notice your presence. Kind of like how we started the worship. Ask for light to shed light to, for you to see. Second, give thanks for the moments, of even the small things. Even the, hey, thank you, God, for Terry being here today. Thank you, God, for just the heating we have here today, for the beautiful sun. So, and then here it gets a little bit more. Examine the day. Where did you go? What did you do? Who are you with? What enlivened you? What discouraged you? What do you end the day with a regret of unreconciled? Give them to God. And so this is the part where you examine and say, God, I give it to you. I, was, I, I said something I should not have said. I'm so sorry, God. Fourth, we seek forgiveness. Where did you fall short? Out of, where were you out of tune with God? And where do you need to make things right with someone? God, forgive me. And then finally, this is neat. As you go to bed, look forward to the next day with God. And as you end the day, look to tomorrow. What are you looking forward to? And what concerns you? Ask God for God's help. This is a practical thing that 500 years of faithful godly men and women did to evaluate their hearts as every day closes. God, I want my heart to be right because the fruit of my heart will be shown eventually. So the words that I say would be transformed. Let's pray together. Lord, we take these words. We thank you that you're a God who doesn't admire the accomplishments we do or how good we look on the outside. You see it all. We cannot fool you. And so, starting with my heart and each of our hearts here, we confess you do see it. And we also confess we desire hearts that are right before you. And for many of us, it's coming to Christ first. And for others, it's renewing this uh, fellowship with you. Take it all. We give you our hearts. Take it, Lord Jesus, our brokenness, our sins. 
we lay it before you. In your name we pray. Amen.